Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the songs that we have just sang. Thank you for the words that we, and the passages that we have just read as we reflect on Jesus. Man of sorrows, afflicted with pain, we esteemed him not, taking upon the sin of the world for us. As we reflect on this, we ask that the Holy Spirit would continue to do a work in our lives, would ground us and find a home. God, your word would find a home in our hearts that you would enable and empower us to continue to live boldly for you. We thank you for this time. May you continue to be honored and glorified, Jesus. And this is in his holy name we pray, amen. You can take a seat this evening as we continue in our Good Friday service tonight. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Um, it's special. It's special as we focus our attention, our gaze to Jesus Christ, a man on the middle cross. And this week, as we've been reflecting, I hope you have, I know I have, been reflecting on these events that have transpired through the Holy Week, the last week that Jesus was here on earth leading up to the cross. That last supper, the ever-present reality and pain of being betrayed by a close friend in Judas. We read part of that bogus trial that, that ultimately Pilate said Jesus is innocent and yet he was crucified. And so tonight we come and we celebrate, we reflect, we're thankful for what Jesus Christ has done. And so I hope the Holy Spirit would continue to stir in our hearts and bring to memory maybe the, some of the images or pain or sermons that we've heard uh, of previous Good Friday services or about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ because I think it's helpful as we reflect on what Jesus Christ has done for us. And I want us tonight to look at just a quick, um, very briefly if I can, uh, just a theme that I see throughout this last week and ultimately throughout the entire uh, Bible. And it's what we just sang, the deep love the Father has for us, that he would send his only son to die in our place. And as we reflect on that song that we just sang, I'm holding back tears because this, this is a great deep love that I don't know if we have the full uh, time here to expound on it, but it's profound. And so to help us, I, w I thought it would be uh, helpful for all of us to turn to Romans chapter five. If you have a Bible, I would really encourage you to turn there. Um, Romans chapter five and starting in verse six, um, it spells it out very clearly, uh, God's deep love for us. Romans five, starting in verse six. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This great truth that Christ died for us when we were weak, when we were far from him, is profound and it's beautiful and it's something that will take the rest of our life and eternity to unpack and to realize. This passage here reminds me also of Apostle uh, John's uh, passage in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, where he writes, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the payment, the sacrifice, our place for our sins. 
And so tonight, I want us to try to understand this in the time that we have left. And the text that we're, uh, doesn't say, right, that, that we're perfect, doesn't say that God was looking at us and saw that we were good enough, and so that's why he loved us. No, while we were living in sin and trespasses, God loved us in Christ, that Christ was the payment for us. And so when we look at this, Christ died while we were still sinners, that, that precedes any love that we have for God. And so what I want us to look at tonight is understand that the fact that God loves us, God the Father loves us and is the driving force, the mission and plan of why Jesus came to this earth to die for us, that we as sinners were broken and needed salvation. And so we look at the work of Jesus on the cross. And for us, this is God's ultimate example and proof of his love for us. God, he shows us so many additional proofs, but there is no greater proof of God's love for us than Jesus Christ, his only son, dying on the cross. It also shows us the great magnitude of our sin that separates us from God. And so when we look at the cross, the payment that was needed, the payment that was paid by Jesus, we understand that we are undeserved sinners and rebels against him, and yet he still loves us. There's a beautiful thing here, that God loves us even in the midst of our, our sin. But I want you to understand that it doesn't mean that we just have a license to keep on sinning or that he doesn't love us enough that he would wanna move us to continue to, to enjoy the life that he has for us. He loved us while we were in filth and sin and we were in evil, and yet God still loved us enough to send his son as a rescue mission to save us. I think about what C.S. Lewis continually writes about how that we are more, more treasure than we realize and that God, he saves us so that we wouldn't be sitting around in mud puddles, but that we would understand the love, the depth that he has for us. And so when we understand that God shows us, the father shows us the great cost of sin and the great love that he has for us, that's the salvation in a nutshell that we realize our brokenness, that there's no way that we can be good enough, no way that we can get to heaven. And yet the good news is that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for us. He was the ultimate sacrifice that we needed. And so we look to him. And so the provision for mankind to have forgiveness of sins is here in Jesus Christ. And we think of the famous John three sixteen. It was God for God so loved that he gave his only son You think about that, the provision, the avenue, the means to which God redeems us, rescues us, is through Jesus Christ. And so we see this, the Father, the source of the love that we have received in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, he says in in that famous passage in John, I have the power to lay down my life. I have the power to take it up again. But he says this to to us as readers, This charge I have received from the Father, and I am doing this because my Father has planned this to take place. That's why Romans 5, what we read, is just so powerful, that who would would die for a righteous person, or a good person, or even a righteous good person, right? Who would die for that person? But yet sinners, and here Christ dies for us. That's what's so remarkable. The love of the Father from eternity past that he would love us in Christ and sent this motion, this plan of salvation that covers the whole canon of scripture and that he decrees from eternity that he chooses that that he will love us in Christ. 
And so, so many of us can get wrong. So many of us can go wrong thinking that we have to be good enough in order for, us to, for God to love us. Or if we sin, we've blown it and God can never love us. But as we see in the cross, we see and hear in Jesus that while we were still sinners, no ability for us to be good, no inherent goodness within ourselves, and yet Jesus loves us. God the Father loves us. And this is, you can see this throughout scripture, but there's one that I wanted to, to make note of in Deuteronomy. God says, In Deuteronomy 7, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people of his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any of the other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all the peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. See, it wasn't that Israel was so good. They had all these great abilities. As we read through their story, uh, they have some abilities that probably are on step with some of the best. And that's grumbling and complaining. But that's not something that's lovable for sure. But God, he chooses to love them and to work through them and to continue to, to use them as his vehicle to bless the whole world. And so we see that Jesus Christ, his sacrifice, it flows from the heart of the Father to love us. And so this atonement that it was arranged by the Father is agreed to by the Son. It wasn't a cosmic child abuse. Jesus was not forced. He knew exactly what it took for sinners to be made right before God. And so there needs to be a solution. There needs to be payment for the sin and that what compels Jesus to continue this mission of the Father. And so we've been familiar, we've read uh, some of the passages of the events that lead up to Jesus on the cross. But what strikes me as you continue to read through just even Luke's gospel, time and time again, Jesus knows exactly what's taking place. Over three three times Jesus says in Luke's gospel that everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. He will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. Jesus knew exactly what was going to take place. He wasn't caught off guard or surprised when he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew what was taking place all along. And his whole life and ministry pointed to this. And we read that passage a little bit earlier, but John 10, 18, uh, no one takes it from me. No one takes my life. I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up. This charge I have received from my father. Jesus is aware of God, the father's love and the requirement it takes for unholy, ungodly people to be made right before God. And so he takes on this mission of love to rescue us. And he gladly and willingly goes to the cross for us. The harmony and mission between the Father and the Son is evident. And so if you have your Bibles, let's turn back to Luke chapter 23 as we continue to look and see the great love that the Father has for us and Jesus the Son demonstrates for us on the cross. We see Jesus in the company in verse 32. We see the company that he's crucified with, two criminals. We see the location, Calvary. We're familiar with it, the place of the school. 
It's just outside of Jerusalem. On a busy thoroughfare, as people would be seen, it would be evident to see these criminals. It would deter other crimes. It would deter other criminals. And this is where Jesus is. As the hymn writer says, the emblem of suffering and shame, that old rugged cross. Notice in verse 33 how the Roman soldiers are there. They're the ones that crucify him. And as historians would tell us, there'd be about four, uh, four soldiers, Roman soldiers would be assigned to each individual person being crucified. And so we have a, a company of 12 soldiers with a centurion that we'll read about here in a second. And the crucifixion, as we often see it in art, is uh, one of placed up high. But as we read about what took place, it'd actually be a little bit closer down to eye level. The center beam or that cross section of the cross would be lowered into the ground with the feet painfully, excruciatingly nailed and fastened to the beam. It would be about 18 to 24 inches off the ground. And so as we continue to read through the other gospel accounts and we see Jesus' words, it makes it evident that it wasn't so much them shouting or Jesus shouting from the cross, but that close, intimate proximity of him speaking to those nearby. And so what does Jesus say on the cross? Here in Luke's account, we have the first words of Jesus on the cross in verse 34. And he's asking the Father to forgive those for they don't know what they are doing. The great love Jesus has for even soldiers, hardened, hardened Roman soldiers crucifying people day in and day out. Forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. They don't know the full extent of what's taking place here. Forgive them. As we notice, the soldiers, they cast lots for Jesus' garments here. We see that. That's in line with the prophecy given in Psalm 22. And as the soldiers join in the mocking with the religious leaders and those passing by, their insults, we read them with a little bit of irony, right? Save yourself. You're the chosen one. And we know the full story, and we realize that Jesus is the chosen one, and he is the one who saves. And as we continue to look here, the sign above Jesus, King of the Jews. As we read this, it's clear to the world who Jesus is. And John's, uh, John chapter 19 is, is the parallel passage, and it helps us, uh, as John writes, that the King of the Jews was written in Aramaic, the common language of the Jews. It was written also in Latin, the Roman government uh, language of the time, and also in Greek, the everyday language of the people. So if you like, the whole world is seen and reading and pointing to the fact that Jesus is the king of the Jews. And it was actually pointing to Jesus being king of another kingdom. We read this, and Luke is unique in this, talking about one of the criminals who on the cross realizes that Jesus is innocent. He does have the authority, and he is a king of a kingdom. And so he asks, he determines at some point that he wants to be part of this kingdom. And so he asks the Lord, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And the staggering response is that Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. This striking confession of a criminal uh, is something to take notice of here. It, Jesus, uh, it became clear that Jesus was innocent and this man knew that he could not get to, to heaven or he wanted to be a part of God's kingdom and Jesus assures him of this salvation. 
And some may point out, as a hardened criminal, it's not worth it. This is, he's not worthy of being forgiven, and it's not fair. It's not fair that he can live a whole life that's completely full of sin and evil and at the last moment turn to Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you, it isn't fair. And neither is it fair for me, a sinner, someone who has sinned and opposed God to be forgiven. And so we look at the man on the cross, my sin on his shoulders, and ashamed, I think I would not be mocking Jesus. But I hear my voice call out among the scoffers. It was the Father's love that propels the Son to die in our place. And so as we come to verse, the last little bit here, verse 44, from the sixth hour, about noon, to about three in the afternoon, it was completely dark over the face of the earth. The isolation and the darkness and the wrath of God that was being poured out on Jesus, something else was taking place down in Jerusalem. In the temple, the temple curtain, the veil that separated man from the most holy place, was being torn from top to, to bottom. This is significant in at least two ways. Man had now free access to God in his most holy place. And second, no one should ever think again that God dwells in, in temples made with hands. Jesus, knowing all things that were now complete, he says the final thing in Luke's gospel. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus willingly dies on the cross. Jesus giving into the Father's mission. As the other gospel writers record for us, Jesus cries out, it is finished. Jesus willingly and purposely committed to this. And at the expiration of Jesus on the cross, the Gentile centurion immediately gives glory to God and understood Jesus for who he really was. Surely this centurion had seen many countless crucifixions, but he had never seen someone be crucified like this. No one be innocent. No one with the things that took place that pointed to Jesus being the son of God. There was something remarkable about Jesus. And I, I, as we kind of wrap up here, I, I can't help but think about and, ex, and how we experience the Father's love because Jesus easily could have said with cold indifference, give them what they deserve. They're sinners. They don't love us. But yet he is and models and demonstrates God's love for us. Jesus saw us in our misery and he didn't just feel for us. He took the necessary action to relieve us of our sin and our distress. He left the eternal glory of the, and the perfect fellowship of the Trinity to condescend to us and to live among us and to suffer like us and to ultimately die for us. And maybe you've been thinking and still like thinking about those words, and I hope you do, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. So I wanna finish with this thought. Whether you're here tonight and you've never turned to Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, or maybe you've been born again for over 80 years, the cross is the stark reminder that God loves us. And when we're tempted to doubt the Father's love for us, we must only look to the cross of Calvary to see how deep, how wide, how vast, and how high the love of God 
and this love invites us to give glory to him and to be ever thankful for the sacrifice of Jesus, a love so amazing, so divine, it demands my soul, my life, my all. Let's pray. Oh God, our Father, we thank you and we pray and ask that you would continue to make this truth, that your love for us demonstrated on Jesus dying for us on the cross, that it would penetrate our hearts, that we too could give you glory, that we too could accept this free gift, that we too could accept the love of the Father demonstrated in Jesus. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would apply these things deep in our lives. May it change us. May it invite us to more and more love of you, God. Father, as we confess our sins, as we look to Jesus, as we remember the sacrifice that was taken uh, for us, these uh, elements and things that we're about to partake in, that Jesus commanded us to remember him and his, uh, his life, the shedding of blood, the sacrifice for sins, and that we could be forgiven. We thank you. We ask you to continue to move in our lives, open our eyes, change our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.